Coming up this week on Sporting Journal Radio. So less than 1% of all uh, alternative ammunition, that's your copper, bismuth, uh, tungsten, steel, everything else that you, that you have is less than 1% of the entire market. Well, we're up here for the Glow Conference once again. They're calling for a constitutional convention. I fish, I hunt, and always will. Broadcasting from the Alclair Outdoors Studios. Presented by OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. We're not just a radio show anymore. This is Sporting Journal Radio. Welcome to the show. I'm Brett Adamson. Thank you for tuning in on this station right here by demand, sportingjournalradio.com, or by downloading the podcast. Dan, what's going on? I think I broke the chair. That chair, when I sat in that chair earlier, was making a little bit of noise. So you broke it. I might have broke it. All right, well. Don't tell anybody. We're in the executive boardroom on the fifth floor at the Hampton Inn and Suites, Bemidji, Minnesota. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, overlooking Dan's old uh, dorm room? or what? Yeah, that's what they're called. Yeah, I know you didn't go to college, but yeah, they're called dorms. I didn't. I did not. Uh, You got yourself an education right on the other side of the lake right there. Does this bring back uh, memories for you being in uh, old Bermidji? I love being up here. I moved away, thought that was a smart thing, and every time I come back, I question myself. (laughs) So it's good to be back. It's good to fish the lake, and uh, we're having a good time. We're tired, but we're having a good time. We've been all over the place. You know, Minnesota is such a neat state because when it comes to uh, the different biomes and the different opportunities that you have, and I love living in the prairie, but northern Minnesota has definitely got something special to it, uh, particularly with all the lakes. Yeah, at least in the spring, summer, and fall. Yeah, you didn't win- like the winter? winter. <laughs> you didn't ice fish? Well, I did, but you burn yourself out. I think that's why you think it's going to be great until you do it for eight months out of the year, and then you're ready to be done. But well, we're up here for the Glow Conference once again. This is our uh, third conference now that we've been to. The uh, first one in the home state, so it was a nice. Well, I'd like to say it was a nice <laughs> short drive for us, but uh, it's the longest one the, we've had. <laughs> the longest drive because we were in Saskatchewan uh, before, came straight here from Saskatchewan, got to chase some some geese up there. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, always is. It's uh, to see the birds first time off the, you know, coming straight from the tundra. We're the first people they get to see for the year, and that's mm-hmm. makes for fun hunting sometimes if they play, and they, they did a few times. So we're gonna have some cool videos coming up from that trip. Yeah, a number of videos at the Fish Hunt Forever YouTube channel, and Dan, a lot of times when you see snow goose videos or snow goose pile picks or whatever you want to talk about you'll see a group of like 10 12 guys and it's like just just barrage of gunshots yep. going off and birds yeah all right birds falling all over the place we had kind of a gentleman's hunt well yeah we slept in <laughs> yeah, we slept in <laughs> we had breakfast yeah i don't know you did but i did and we shot a bunch of snow geese with two guys six shells going off uh each volley yeah so and sometimes six geese would fall yeah, we shot well, surprisingly. I just closed my eyes and pulled the trigger. Well, the way you've been shooting this year, that was probably a smart thing. <laughs> it's off to a rough start. Yeah. Got a lot better. I mean, having uh, an extended time in Saskatchewan, and we shot a bunch of Canada's up there, and then we were waiting on the snow goose migration. Like, I think if we would have not shot any Canada geese up there this year, we would have been just fine with it. Yeah, we did it the past time. We did it, and our buddy David came up for a few days. David Eckhart, who's not with us on the podcast right now, um, this week. But he came up with us and, and shot some birds, and so we banged up uh, the Canada's waiting on the snows. It was just like the year before, too. We shot a couple of snows right away, yep. and then it was a lull, and we had to wait for them to come. And just like last year, they pretty much came just as we were leaving. Yeah, it's uh, we'll, we got to work on some timing things here. So 
Whoever's having 20, we already know 2024 is conference, but 2025, let's work on some dates here. Well, we don't know who it is, but I know I've talked to one of the organizers and if his location gets picked, it's gonna be in October. They get the vote. So, yeah. I don't even know who it is. I have no idea, but they, I don't care. That could be in downtown Minneapolis, yeah. voted. Because right now is when I want to be in Saskatchewan. As much as I love being here right now, I would love to be here next week yeah. and be still in Saskatchewan for a little bit. But right before we left though, um, birds started showing up. We mm -hmm. did sleep in a little bit. We had a, a mig migrator spread set up. So um, we didn't have to set decoys in the morning. We didn't have to get out there at 3 a.m. to set a bunch of, bunch of decoys. We had them set uh, for a couple of days in a row. and. We, we saw the forecast, we thought this could be a good day, and sure enough, we had a steady stream of flocks, like, I don't know, one an hour or something like ah, that. At least, yeah. We have, you know, you sit for a while in a, in a MIG rig like that, but a lot of times, it's just a steady stream as they come, and we broke around lunchtime, because we've been out there and it slowed down a little bit, so I had a new spy point flex camera, and I'm like, let's just, let's just put this up in the middle of the spread and see if any birds work the decoys while we're gone. And it, the, it's a US uh, trail camera meant for down here. Well, it doesn't work in Canada, so I couldn't get pictures sent to me with it. So we just had to come back, hunt the rest of the day, bring the camera back uh, to the cabin, download the pictures and see what happened. The old fashioned way. Right. <laughs> like the old, when it was like Christmas morning, opening up your yeah. trail camera, memory card to see, oh, what tier did I have? Bring the laptop to the field, right. to the woods. Right. Yep. Sure enough, about once an hour, flock of snows came and, and decoyed, decoyed. In, decoyed in. We could have shot into at least four more flocks yeah. throughout that day. No calling. No calling, yeah. yeah. Makes you wonder sometimes about the, like the e-caller and even the Nodak snow that we used from DRC, we definitely killed some snows because of that mouth call. And we definitely worked some birds in closer using the e-caller. Yeah, which is legal in Saskatchewan in the fall for, for snows. snows. Yeah. yeah, using snow Clarify. goose calls. We're not, yeah. We're not shooting Canada's over e-callers. Correct. So uh, we had a pretty good day. And then the next day, the forecast was even better for migrators. So we sat, we even sat longer. One flock, one flock of snows that we didn't even shoot into. We had a lot of fog and a lot of smoke though. Yeah. And a lot of fog up north. So we had a theory, right, that they might just not have flown. I think Or they popped up and got way above that fog and smoke and just kept on cruising. We never heard them and never saw them. Because the guys were up at Tazan Lake Lodge that day and they were supposed to fly out but yep. they couldn't because of wildfire smoke yep. and I know of another lodge where guys were delayed because of wildfire smoke that was in northern Saskatchewan and that's where those birds would have to pass through so I'm sure I'm sure that wildfire smoke and they had a lot of fog up there too yep. so that had something to do with it but another great trip we got a bunch of videos coming to the Fish Hunt Forever YouTube channel um, and then we'll have some videos coming from here in Bemidji because we got to Fish Lake Bemidji it's the first time I fished Lake Bemidji today yeah you know believe it or not despite the fact that yeah I did live in that big building over there it might have been only like the fifth or sixth time I've open water fished it oh. you know there's that's the it beauty like it since you didn't really know where it <laughs> okay <goes. laughs> okay no we could have fished out of your boat out, yeah. but it's the beauty of this area there's like 400 lakes within 25 miles mm -hmm. so instead of just focusing on this lake here in town and especially when I moved off campus I was south of town I could be on like Cass Lake for example the same amount of time I could be on this lake drive time so I just, you know you just have the ability to bounce around and go all over the place. So this lake, which is a great lake, right in town, really convenient for a lot of people, got put on my back burner. And so when people found out I was going to school here at the conference this week, like, oh, where, where do you fish? Where's this good lake? Blah blah. blah. Yep. 
Yeah. <laughs> sure, figure it out. Throw some peanuts at it. Throw some peanuts <laughs> at it. That's right. Well, we found walleyes. I mean, we, we did walleyes. Yeah, a lot of people a did. Fish donkey contest as part of the Aglow event this year, and um, I think a 24. I think Brady. Yeah, well, of course, the local guide. Bemidji, yeah, had a 24 and a half or 24 yeah. or something. Nice, and, nice uh, little fish. I think Josh Lance had a 23 and mm-hmm. three quarter, 23 and a half, and a number of walleyes and some a lot of perch caught and uh, so a lot of pike. I could see uh, like Tim Lesmeister who likes those little pike. I could see him having a field day out here. Oh yeah, I think he pike. was grinning ear to ear probably, and probably has a cooler full of them. It <laughs> limits 10 up here, right, of those small ones. I can't remember the exact slot, but it's like 20 to 22, and then over 26 or something, like two over 26, I think. So you can keep 10 pike and 10, 10 hammer handles because there's so many of them. They want to rid the lakes of them, or thin them out, I should say. And boy, you could have a heck of a fish fry. And, I bet, I bet Tim goes and does it every day. Yeah, well, pike are good to eat. They absolutely are. You definitely could get a meal out of them here. Um, so it was it was a fun morning out there. We battled the wind a little bit, uh, but people had a great time, and uh, we had a bunch of cool prizes. So you'll be seeing some of that stuff on our YouTube channel, Fish Hunt Forever. Uh, we got a really cool show uh, broadcasting. We're actually overlooking Lake Bemidji from the fifth floor here at the Hampton Inn and Suites, which is thankfully a pet-friendly room, as Tiny and Mika are along for the ride as well, too. So thank you, Hampton. We appreciate that. And while we've been here so far at the conference, we got to hear uh, a guy by the name of Mark uh, all of us speak. He's a former Marine. He's uh, uh, with the National Shooting Sports Foundation right now. He talks about a lot of important policy issues affecting uh, America, and not just America as a whole, but also individual states where there are different policies affecting uh, shooting sports and gun ownership and ammunition and banning uh, lead ammunition in certain areas. So we've got a great conversation with Mark coming up. Dan, off the top of your head, do you know the sponsors this week? We should probably Oh, gosh. Them. Well, let's, we'll throw them in. Okay. <laughs> Here are the sponsors. We'll, we'll edit them. <laughs> this week. And uh, Mark Oliva is coming up on Sporting Journal Radio. Live Target match the hatch this fishing season at LiveTargetLures.com. Get stocked up for ice fishing. Lake of the Woods tourism. Lake of the Woods is the walleye capital of the world. Plan a trip for this fall or winter at LakeOfTheWoodsMN.com. Habel Heights Campground and Resort. Book a trip to Devil's Lake. Maybe fish out of a snow bear. Learn more at HabelHeights.com. Ottertail Lakes Country. Find your inner otter at OttertailLakesCountry.com. And Prairie Sportsman, the new season starts in January. But you can watch other episodes anytime at the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel. 852 million acres of public land. 147 million private properties. All in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. Northern Minnesota's Walleye Factory is a year-round world-class fishing destination. The perfect getaway this summer is just a short drive to Lake of the Woods. Fish Big Traverse Bay, the Rainy River, or visit the unique Northwest Angle. To catch big fish, you have to go where the big fish are. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. That's lakeofthewoodsmn.com. All right, welcome to Sporting Journal Radio. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thank you for tuning in on the network by demand, sportingjournalradio.com, or maybe you're watching this on YouTube. And if you are, you can see 
that we're not in our home studio right now. We're up in Bemidji actually at the Hampton Inn and Suites. We're overlooking Lake Bemidji at the annual Aglow Conference once again. And uh, we're up here with a bunch of communicators and uh, destinations and brands and some really interesting people talking about some really important topics right now. And Mark Oliva joins us right now from the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Mark, how you doing? Doing great, Brett. Thanks for having me. Uh, what do you do there? Explain your, your job there. Yeah, when I'm not goofing off, I guess, uh, the thing I do is, is policy communications. I get to talk about all the industry's efforts of what we're trying to do on Capitol Hill uh, and what we're trying to do in, in all 50 state capitals, trying to advance um, the interest of the firearm industry. You represent your manufacturers, uh, both ammunition and firearms, uh, your distributors, retailers, ranges, and in, endemic media as well. So we're trying to advance the interests of, of the industry so that we can get the gun to the counter to sell it to you. So we're trying to make sure that there's good policy, defending against bad policy, and I'm the one that gets to talk about all that with, with the media, a lot of times with the media that doesn't necessarily like us. So Right. Well, and a, a lot of times media doesn't always understand some of those yeah. policies as well either, and it's a really important job, especially nowadays i feel like uh our way of life is constantly under attack the things that we like to do there's always somebody trying to take some of that stuff away maybe inch by inch uh and and thankfully we have people like you that can sift through some of that political uh jargon and that mess and you know because a lot of people don't want to deal with that part of it that's sometimes a harder part you know, we just want to go out and hunt and fish, right? We yeah. need people, we need advocates, we need people that are most of the time smarter than us as well to, to go through some of that and figure out, hey, no, this is bad. This is not good. If we want to continue doing what we're doing, this is not good. So it's really important to have people like you, that you do your job, and then organizations like yours, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's really, it's for me, it's been a blessing. So I, I, I retired out of the Marine Corps and came into this job in, in uh, NSSF. And I, and I joke, I get to go from one big gun club to another. Uh, and it's really been a blessing. Um, and the, the beauty and the fun of it really has been to learn some of the folks who are on Capitol Hill, some of the members of Congress, some of the senators who really are dedicated outdoorsmen and outdoors women. Uh, you know, I talked a little bit earlier today, some of the folks about Senator Danes up in Montana. Uh, Senator Danes is a proud you know, hunter, he, and he puts up pictures on his own Facebook feeds and social media feeds of him hunting every year. In fact, he, he blasted Twitter, uh, you know, now known as X, but he blasted them because they took down one of his photos of, of him that. holding up a, a pronghorn. Mm -hmm. uh, they said it was violent, and, and he actually got them to restore the photo and put it back up. So there are people who are champions of what we do and, and, and our way of life and, and the pastimes that we enjoy and our heritage. Um, and then there's, you know, trying to educate some of the others. And, and it's it's not always aligned with one particular party. It's not all Republicans are hunters and, and, and gun guys, and it's, and it's not all Democrats are anti. So there's there's still some on, on the other side of the aisle, I guess, if you will, that will uh, still want to have that conversation and talk about these things and, and protect the the work that we're trying to do for wildlife conservation. And that's something that we're really proud, you know, I talked with some of the folks earlier about the Pittman-Robertson excise mm -hmm. taxes and, and, the, and the work that that is doing to conserve wildlife, conserve public access to, to our land so we can get out there and enjoy it. And it's not just for the benefit of hunters and anglers and for the, for the species that we love to target, but it's also for those people who want to just get out into the woods and see America's wildlife. It really is truly a treasure of what we have here. Year, the North American Wildlife Conservation Model is working. It's doing wonderfully. You know, it is it is preserving these animals, preserving these habitats for even the animals that we don't hunt, so that, that you can have a healthy biosphere for for the survival of all the species. 
Well, not just that, but it's good for, you know, outdoor recreation. It's good for our mental health to get out there yeah. and do that. And honestly, you start talking about air quality and water quality and having, you know, grass on the ground and trees and, you know, good quality habitats just going to help us all, all, you know, do this and live a healthy, clean life for a long time. And I always call myself a, a, a conservative that cares about conservation because I feel like you know, and generally I'll lean to the right on most topics, but there are some things that the Republicans get wrong, I think, at times when it comes to, you know, some of the things we do or the environment, things like yeah. that, whatever. And, and I won't even t start to talk about the left side of things and how, how I feel about what they're doing most days. But um, I, I feel like you have to be middle of the road and be able to talk to both sides a lot of times and things like this. Yeah, so it is important to have an open mind and have an open conversation, right. be willing to talk with other people and reach across the aisle. And conservation really has been one of those issues that's able mm -hmm. to still bring people back to the middle and talk about what's going to be good policy for everybody in America. There are people who are going to go out and enjoy wildlife who don't want to hunt, and that's right. fine. We want them to be able to enjoy that as well. We also want them to understand what is funding that conservation. And it really is uh, today's hunters and, and anglers. And it really, a lot of it is the recreational target shooter. I, I explained it to another member of the media one time. I said, think about this. When I go out and I zero my hunting rifle for the season, I'll use, let's say five rounds, I can, I can verify my zero. Let's just even say it takes me 10 rounds to verify my zero. And then I may go out and spend three or four rounds maybe to, to, to put that animal on the ground and put a tag on it. Uh, but when, so that you're talking less than a box of ammo in one year. But when I go to the range to just practice, when I, I'll go and take a pistol and I'll probably take my AR with me. And I'm starting with 200 rounds per frame that I'm gonna shoot. So I'm burning up every time I go to the range at least 200 rounds versus when I'm hunting, I'm only burning up maybe 10, 15, 20 rounds a year. So it really is your recreational target shooter. Think about when you go shoot sporting clays. Mm -hmm. You're gonna shoot a round of 100 sporting clays but when you go out for a, a hunt, you may shoot a, a box of ammo, you know, to, to spend a day hunting. I miss a lot. So. <laughs> we call it making noise for conservation, that's, right? So, uh, but, so we, we try and make sure that people understand it's not just hunters and anglers that are supporting mm -hmm. wildlife conservation. It really is your recreational target shooter. You know, and that's the thing. I, I, people have argued with me about that, that the recreational target shooter is actually raising, all, you know, maybe even more money oh, yeah. for conservation than the hunters and anglers when it comes to that, that tax on ammunition uh, and things like that. So, yeah. Um, they may they may not be out there, you know, doing some of the volunteer work on the ground, but you'll also say, you know, as you brought up, the hunter is also going and practicing and spending a lot of money on on just practice rounds when they're at the range too. Sure. So it's it's hard to it's hard to quantify who exactly is spending money at the you know sure. on ammo at the range. And, and typically, what we'll see for, I mean, when we start to study who the customers are, so we can help our manufacturers, you know, target their their potential customers. Your, your first time gun buyer is usually buying a self-defense style handgun, something that's possibly concealable, something that they're gonna use for self-defense in the home. And that's typically the first purchase. Um, and, and I try to tell media when I explain it to them, you can usually tell what people are gonna use that firearm for by, by the firearm that they're buying. Over half the firearms that are sold in America in any given year are handguns. Um, that you're gonna use that for one of two reasons. You're gonna shoot that recreationally or you're gonna use it for self-defense. With limited application, people aren't using handguns to hunt. You certainly don't use them to go hunt ducks and, and pheasant. Right. Um, 
That'd be but very when you, difficult. Yeah, very difficult, <laughs> outside of my skill level. Um, when you're buying a shotgun, it can serve multiple purposes, right? I can use that for home defense. I can use that for uh, hunting deer. I can use that for sporting clays. I can use that for uh, you know upland hunting. I can use it for duck hunting. Uh, when I buy a rifle, I'm going to use that rifle for you know hunting deer, recreational target shooting, coyotes possibly, uh, you know other small game, mid-sized game, and, and maybe home defense. So, but what we find when people buying that first handgun, that's their introduction to the shooting sports. They get to the range, they start to learn how to use their firearm, learn how to safely load it, unload it, learn how to store it, bring it properly. Um, but then they start to see what everybody else is shooting at the range. And they start to become open to what the shooting sports are and, and what that kind of family is. And they, they realize that, okay, maybe it's more than just punching paper and being able to protect myself in the home. They realize that this is something they can do with their friends and they can start to enjoy this sport in a different way. So they might get introduced to shooting steel. They might get out to a steel challenge, US, you know, USPCA, uh, you know, IDPA. Uh, they'll start getting involved with those matches, but they'll also see at the range, someone might be shooting an AR next to them. Maybe they never had a chance to shoot one and they get a chance to do that. So they get introduced to shooting a new frame. And then maybe they see someone shooting shotguns and they've never had a chance to swing a shotgun at a skeet or a trap range. And then the sporting clays. And so they start to expand their aperture. And that we tend to see is that your first gun buyer, now, because they're buying that first gun to become a, a, you know, someone who can provide for their own self-defense in the home, now starts to become open to the rest of the shooting sports. And some of those people are also becoming introduced to hunting, specifically during COVID. We saw a lot of people were concerned about where they're gonna be able to get their food because mm -hmm. you know some of the grocery stores were running short. And so we started to see a lot more people getting introduced to the hunting, uh, the hunting sports as well during that time because they wanted to be able to make sure they could secure their own food sources. So, you know, and it was what the original, you know, social distance activity, right? Further you can get away right. from other people, the, the better off your chances are going to be able to tag an animal. So, uh, you know, so we're seeing that people are becoming interested in other aspects of the shooting sports and hunting after they start to become those gun owners who are maybe just interested in self-defense at the start. As a National Shooting Sports Foundation, obviously you're interested in what's going on nationally. Uh, but I was impressed uh, when you were speaking today at the conference. Uh, somebody brought up something happening in their home state and you knew exactly what they were talking about. So you have to pay attention to what's going on everywhere. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it can be a little bit of a whirlwind sometimes, trying to keep up with what's going on in, in all 50 states as well as Congress and, and of course in the courts as well because we're active in the courts uh, trying to defend against uh, some of these laws that are being passed and trying to defend those laws that we think are going to be good uh, for the industry and for, for gun ownership. Um, so it, it it's an interesting aspect to be able to be part of something like this that is dynamic, truly dynamic. And when people look at the word dynamic, it's constantly changing. Mm -hmm. So you have to really kind of keep your head on the swivel, keep moving around. Um, things are, are moving quickly in some of these states. And, and a lot of these, uh, these anti-gun legislatures are passing laws that are completely unconstitutional. Right. Uh, there's no way about it. I think we, you know here recently. New I know Mexico. that New Mexico is, is you know you see what you saw what happened in New Mexico, but on top of that in California, the the, state, the general assembly there is advancing through uh, Governor Newsom's proposed 28th Amendment to the Constitution, which would eliminate your ability to own a, an AR-15, uh, and it would provide for California-style gun control for the rest of America. They're calling for a constitutional convention, which could open up a very big can of worms because once you open up a constitutional convention, 
to consider an option of their amendment, which would wipe out the Second Amendment, you're also opening up to anything else that anybody else wants to add. So um, I think people need to make sure that they're aware of what's happening in the other states. So sure, surely California wants to export their style of gun control to the rest of America. And I think if you look at where other states are, are seeing influx of Californians into their states, you see in Montana, Idaho, Texas, you know, people are, are leaving and going to there. There are people who have been longtime residents of these states are saying, we welcome you. Don't bring your California ideas with you. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of concern with what's coming out of California. I think, you know, if you live in a state like like Louisiana, Alabama, Florida, where things are very gun friendly, you, sh you should be aware of what's happening in these other states because it could affect you. I, this is out of your wheelhouse, but obviously you've paid attention to what's going on in Canada. Yeah. Talk about it all, about what's happening up there. Yeah. So we, we're keeping an eye on it because, of course, uh, you know, anything that's around us, or, you know, you have there are members of Congress who look to other countries and say, hey, we should right. be following their model. You know, they they look to Europe and say, why why don't we have, you know, strict gun regulation like they do in Europe? Why don't we have, uh, you know, what happened in New Zealand? Uh, you know, when New Zealand started really cracking down and, and talking about uh, doing, uh, you know, what they call, you know, buybacks. buybacks. But they're, they're not buybacks. They're confiscations is what they are. And that's what's happening in, in Canada right now. Um, and I think what you're seeing is uh, the reaction to that is a lot of the provinces are telling Ottawa, we don't want this. We're not going to do this. We, we're not going to be part of it. And the premiers of those uh, provinces are standing up against the Trudeau uh, administration saying, this is not what we're about. I think that there's a big disconnect of what's happening in Ottawa, especially with the Western uh, provinces, uh, you know, where there's a right. big, deep ingrained hunting culture and, and, a, and a more independent idea, more, probably more like what we have in America. What they're lacking in, in Canada, though, is the Second Amendment. That's what truly makes our country unique, is that you have the right to keep and bear arms. That's a right given to you by your creator that the government can't take away. And of course, we saw that in New Mexico, the governor tried to take that right away like it was a privilege that she could pluck anytime she want. And she's, she was slapped down by the courts about that. And of course, I think there's still gonna be some more repercussions of that. Yeah. It's interesting. I feel like the Western provinces in Canada, it's almost like being in the Midwest in the United yeah. States, you know, kind of that similar mentality. Uh, and then you got Ottawa or Eastern Canada and you got New York or California, like the coastal areas and some similar ideologies there. Um, you brought up uh, the uh, potential for lead, a uh, ban on lead ammunition yeah. in the United States and, and some, some refuges, is that our yeah. national, national wildlife refuges? refuges? Yeah, the NWRs. So yeah, what's happening right now is there's a proposed rule by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, and that they would open up more hunting and fishing opportunities in these national wildlife refuges. So maybe you might be able to get to an area that refuge that wasn't open before, or maybe they didn't allow hunting where they allowed fishing, uh, or vice versa, and they say we're going to allow you to do that, but at the same time we're going to ban the use of traditional lead ammunition. Uh, and, and this is what we call a Faustian deal. This is, this is kind of a deal with the devil uh, to, to be able to advance their, their interests on, you know, trying to ban the use of lead. And really what that's going to come down to is, uh, one, it's going to make it more difficult for your average hunter to be able to afford to be able to go hunting. Uh, and two, it's, it's going to really impact conservation dollars that are going back to the states. Um, you, you, Alternative ammunition could be the choice that maybe that's what you want to use and there are plenty of hunters who do choose to use it. And you as a hunter should be able to make that decision that's going to best suit your needs. Right. Um, but 
the cost of, of alternative ammunition is three to five times the cost of lead ammunition. Uh, and so they're saying it has, you know, it has detrimental population impacts, but they provided, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service hasn't provided any evidence of that. They talk in very general terms. So I was explaining to some of the folks here at Aglow that, uh, you know, part of this rule, they were talking about the American bald eagle and, and how that recovery of the American bald eagle has been uh, slowed, or the growth rate of the bald eagles has been slowed, and they say it's because of the use of traditional ammunition. Well, I think it's important to remember that the American bald eagle is off the endangered species list. It's we off, have a lot of eagles. Yeah, it's off the threatened species everywhere. list. They're, they're yeah. doing absolutely great. Yeah. Uh, and if you're going to talk about, uh, you know, uh, the issue of a sick eagle, well, now you're basically making the con you argument against hunting. So we don't manage wildlife for individual animals. We manage wildlife for population levels. And the American bald eagle is doing just great. Uh, they also talked about the California condor and, and how the ingestion of lead has, has been uh, detrimental to their wildlife population impacts. Um, but they, they tried to apply this to Chincoteague in, in Virginia. I've hunted Chincoteague. Uh, no there, are, there are no California condors that nest there. They haven't flown over there. I, I think maybe in, I don't know, eons, if they ever flew over there. Um, it, it, you know, the California condor is resident to you know, central and southern California, Utah, Arizona but they don't fly out there in Chincoteague. So they've no shown that there are no detrimental population impacts to the wildlife that is resonant there. Anything that's peer reviewed, working with the state agencies and showing that there's an actual you know, population impact. But when they're trying to push these rules to ban lead, it's gonna price some of those hunters out of the market. It's gonna make it more difficult for them to afford to be able to hunt. And that's gonna have long-term impacts on the money that's going back to conservation. And I was trying to explain to some of the folks earlier is $1.6 billion went back to the states this past year for wildlife conservation projects. How's a portion came straight out of the Pittman-Robertson excise taxes and some of the other wildlife conservation taxes, but 1.19 billion of the 1.1, uh, the 1.6 billion was directly tied to firearms and ammunition. So firearms and ammunition is paying the lion's share. Of course, that tax is being paid by the manufacturers, but the cost of that is passed down to you as a consumer so you're helping support those manufacturers in addition to buying your hunting and fishing license which all that money stays right there in the state and that money's being cycled back in it's one of those true lock boxes that happens in congress where the money can't be spent anywhere else it's not like they're going to take the conservation dollars and go spend it on the defense department or they're going to spend it on education or they're going to spend it anywhere else it's only able to be used for conservation and that's it's one of those things that we're we jealously guard to make sure that that is that's going to stay the case to make sure that we continue to have the wildlife that we enjoy in America. Live Target, the leader in Match the Hatch, is back with new lures that also match the action. Introducing the Live Craw. The Live Craw is irresistible to bass, walleye, and other freshwater species. FTEX winner, the ultimate frog, looks and acts just like a swimming frog. With an exposed ultra-point mustad hook and replaceable legs, the ultimate frog has two styles, two sizes, and eight colors. And iCast and FTEX winner, the live shrimp, mimics a fleeing shrimp for saltwater anglers. Coming soon from Live Target. Devil's Lake is legendary, and this summer has been legendary for walleyes. Don't miss out. Call Haybell Heights Campground and Resort today to book one of their modern cabins on East Bay. The cabins are furnished with a full bathroom, kitchen, and all the amenities like high-speed internet and are clean following CDC guidelines. Staying at Haybell Heights gives you full access to a private boat launch, fish cleaning station, and beach area. Learn more at haybellheights.com. That's haybellheights.com. 
Plan your trip to legendary Devil's Lake today. Uh, in recent years, there has been some non-toxic stuff, uh, particularly in the waterfall world. Uh, you know, bismuth, tungsten, some other options, even turkey, turkey loads, things like that. Do you think that uh, aside from the, you know, the argument of how much money, you know, the ammunition sales raise right now, because if you're buying bismuth and tungsten that you're still buying ammunition, so you're still going to raise money. As more of that stuff gets bought, uh, manufacturing costs should come down because more and more equipment to produce that ammunition will come out. Do you, do you see a world where we could replace the lead ammunition with some of these non-toxic alternatives and, and still be able to contribute the way we are now? Uh, I know the target shooting is maybe a little bit of a different situation because they're burning through quite a bit more lead than maybe the hunter is. Um, what what is the answer? I mean, the fight against lead I think is gonna it's been going for a while. It's gonna continue for a while. Do we just keep fighting back against it, or do we do do we work towards trying to create a non-toxic alternative that could be beneficial and affordable enough? that we can still raise enough money and just quiet down those people? Or are they gonna keep coming at us? I think they're gonna keep coming at you. And I think what they've found is, is an avenue by which they can divide the hunting and conservation community on this uh, with, with talking about lead. Um, so I think support for people to understand is, uh, you know, I think I talked about it earlier, Alternative ammunition on average costs three to five times of what it costs to produce traditional lead ammunition. Um, but the availability of this is also the concern. So less than 1% of all uh, alternative ammunition, that's your copper, bismuth, uh, tungsten, steel, everything else that you, that you have is less than 1% of the entire market. Um, and it is prohibitive. They're not opening any new copper mines. In fact, what I've seen through this administration is a move to shut down mining. Uh, so they want to make it more difficult. Uh, so coppers, you know, probably there's there's a reason that you see construction sites getting hit by thieves all the time because yeah. they're stealing the copper piping out of there because they know it's of value. Um, so I think that there's there the, the cost of ammunition all around has been going up and it'll mm -hmm. continue to go up. But I think when you start to force through these alternatives that that may not be affordable, it's going to price some people out of the market. With the Pittman Robertson taxes collected is at the first point of sale. So if you order direct from the factory or the they sell it to a distributor who's going to now sell it to your favorite store, whatever the cost of that box of ammunition is, is that's where the tax is collected. So whether it be the higher tax that, the, that they're paying on on something that's bismuth or tungsten or the lower tax that they may be paying because of lower cost on, uh, on traditional lead ammunition, the money's still going there. But part of the other problem is, is that there's not a lot of research going into the new formularies. So there have been formularies that have been sitting at ATF for approval. Uh, so they can look at other alternatives uh, to see if they could find something. But those approvals haven't been going They're through. They're not looking at it. So there's not a lot of incentive for these uh, ammunition manufacturers to be looking for the next great alternative if they're not going to get approved and they won't be able to sell it on the market either. So so the regulatory part of this is a big concern as well. And what's driving the prices up? Like, like what's truly driving the ammo prices up? Demand. Demand really is. I mean, you've got... Is that because that people are worried their guns are going to get taken away <laughs> so they're stocking up? So it was interesting. So it really kind of came to head during 2020 during the COVID mm -hmm. crisis, right? So we saw, um, you know, 
at the same time you saw all the COVID lockdowns going, we saw the strongest month ever yeah. for background checks for the sale of firearms. We saw yeah. over 2 million background checks in the month of April. I know a lot of people that never had guns before yeah. bought guns at that time. Yeah, and they were buying ammunition at the same time. So we had 21 and a half million background checks for the sale of a gun in 2020. We had uh, 18.5 million in, in, in 2021, and we had 16.4 million in 2022. Uh, and those, the previous record before 2020 was going back to 2015. We had 15.7 million. So people are still buying. We've had over 48 months continuous, 49 months continuous, of over a million background checks every month. All those people are also buying ammunition. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, when COVID happened, everyone started hoarding toilet paper, started hoarding, you know, uh, you know, you, free, you know, pizza in the freezer, and they started hoarding ammunition yeah, as well because they were buying because it, it kind of has a cascading effect. You'd walk into the store, you'd be like, oh, I'm going to grab a box while I can because it's still here. Well, now there's another box gone from the shelf, another box gone, and that happens, and all of a sudden people start seeing. Shelves that are going bare, and mm -hmm. and so now you saw some of the panic buying that was happening. Manufacturers were doing the best that they could to keep up with it, but it was at the height of it. They were looking at almost an 18-month backlog to be able to fulfill mm -hmm. those orders. Most of that has been caught up by by this point, uh, but you have a lot more people out there shooting, a lot more new gun owners, a lot more people learning how to use the firearms. Uh, and I think when I tried to do the back of the napkin math when I was looking at it, just from 2020, of the 21 and a half million background checks, if every one of those new gun buyers, just the new gun buyers, bought a box of 50 rounds, I mean there was over a billion rounds just for them. So and you, you know, know everybody that already had a gun is also buying. They're it. also probably buying. buying more. Exactly, and I was we were all doing the same thing. Yeah. So, so I think that's when you saw the spike of the pricing go up because demand went up. Uh, it's kind of settled out. I don't think you'll ever see it go back down to pre 2020 levels, uh, but it's it's gotten a lot more reasonable because demand is, is kind of uh, the the supply is kind of caught up with some of that demand and it's kind of settled out to this uh, to this new level that we have. Uh, but I don't I don't expect that the demand level is going to go down. I think that it'll stay constant. Oh, yeah, people continue, sure. and I think there's a lot of people who saw what happened in 2020 don't ever want to be caught flat-footed. So mm -hmm. maybe you only kept you know a couple hundred rounds for for your favorite rifle or your favorite handgun, and now those people are keeping a couple thousand rounds around just well, to have it. Yeah, and how careful do these gun manufacturers and ammunition manufacturers have to be? Because as demand goes up, they want to increase production to keep up with demand. But they're 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 one law one bill away from not being able to sell that particular yeah. firearm or maybe not be able to sell that particular round and also they've got this giant stash of you know a warehouse full of, of ammunition or, or yeah. guns and they can't do anything with it you know and, and you look at some of the other industries right now post covid like the fishing industry they sold so much stuff during COVID because, oh gosh, we gotta go fishing, you know? Yeah. So they went out and bought stuff. Well, now that's dropped off a cliff because either those people aren't buying it anymore or they've got the gear now so, they, so nobody's going out and buying the stuff. So now the fishing industry is a little worried about what they're gonna yeah. do. Is, is there a worry in the firearm industry that something like that could happen. Yeah, so I think that's what you see maybe, what you're explaining happening in the angling world is something that the firearms manufacturers saw back in, in 2015, 2016, when we hit that peak of 15.7 million. Um, in, in, in 2017, 2018, you had what was called the Trump slump, and everyone wanted to talk about that. Firearm sales kind of went down into a low. Everyone was 
panic buying because they thought that Trump was not going to win the election. Mm -hmm. And they were going to see that you couldn't buy an AR-15 anymore. Well, wasn't um, Obama the best gun salesman? Isn't that the joke? Well, I, I tell you, the numbers are actually a whole <laughs> lot better under President Biden. Well, I'm not surprised. Um, so, but it's, um, but we saw the same thing. So there was a glut in the pipeline. You know, there were so many man, so many distributors going back to manufacturers going, give me everything you got because I can't keep it on the shelf. Um, I literally walked into one distributor's warehouse during the height of COVID to kind of show you how rapidly these things move. I could see from one end of the warehouse to the other through the shelves. It was wow. the most odd thing in the world. They had a truck backed up against uh, one side of the warehouse that was unloading shipments, and they weren't even hitting the shelf. They were being scanned in, and they were being rebundled and scanned out. They called it boomerang shipments because they would never actually go on the shelf. They'd scan it in, get it into the system, and scan it right back out the door. So I think some of those lessons were learned by fire manufacturers there mm -hmm. any manufacturing industry wants predictability they mm -hmm. want to know that you know if you're going to have to order the bar stock to make a barrel you you have to think months and if not years in advance of what you're going to need to to be able to sustain that growth and have it sustainable and, and there's always going to be ups and downs to manufacturing in any industry auto industry you know the the fire industry anybody who makes a product is going to have to see that it's, it's going to go through its own cycles um, but you want to build in as much predictability as you can to be able to meet that and and have it be at a price point that you're going to be able to afford and this goes into much more than just buying the bar stock and creating you also have to hire people you have to have them come in. You have to pay for the electricity that goes into that. You have to be able to have the facilities that can manage it. Your shipping costs. And of course, we all see gasoline, diesel is right. not getting any cheaper. So anytime you're shipping that fire amount, now you're paying an increased cost to ship it. If you have to warehouse it, all those things are going into the cost that eventually are going to be passed on to you as the consumer. So that, you know, any manufacturer wants to build in that predictability so they can have even state production, steady state production, so they can pass that predictability of the pricing bond to you as well. When they have to go through whipsaws, ups and downs, it makes it really difficult. No one wants to hire anybody and then six months later have to turn them away and say, listen, we just don't have to work for you and send it away. It's a terrible way to do business. Mm -hmm. And, and, the, and I, anybody who really looks deep inside the firearm industry, probably not that much different than the folks in the angling industry. It's a really small industry in, in the grand scheme of things of all the manufacturing that we have in America. And it really is a small family. And everybody kind of knows everybody. So nobody wants to have to go home and hurt somebody within that family right. and say, we just don't have work for you anymore, send it off. So I think that was something that you saw the firearm uh, manufacturers, ammunition manufacturers. So when we hit that, that high peak demand in COVID, people were really asking, hey, why can't they just make more ammo? Well, they were running shifts around the clock. And they were hiring as many people as they could. But it's not like they had a spare you know, factory in the backyard they could just turn the lights on. So they had to make sure that they were making decisions in 2020 that were gonna be sustainable in 2025 and 2030 mm -hmm. to make sure that that production was gonna be able to be maintained and they were gonna be able to keep those employees on. Especially when you're talking about some of the high-skilled labor of engineering that has to go into it, not just in, in firearms. Did you know there are more than 1,000 lakes in Ottertail County? Yep, and I'm gonna fish as many as I can. I'm an outdoorsy otter. Nothing beats a full day of fishing for me. The lakes of Ottertail County give me plenty of options to lower my boat and snag the perfect catch. Not an outdoorsy otter? No problem. Ottertail County has something for everyone. You just need to find your inner otter. To find your inner otter, go to ottertaillakescountry.com. 
But let's talk about NSSF real quick before yeah. we wrap up. Uh, where can people learn more about it? How, how can people get involved? What can they do? Yeah, so NSSF, you can find us at, on the web at NSSF.org. Uh, you can learn what we're doing in the in Capitol Hill, what we're doing in the state capitals. We have a, a legislative uh, package up there that you can click on, find out what's going on with certain bills and, and where we stand on them as an industry. Um, we do represent your, your industry, so we, we take care of the manufacturers, the, the distributors, the retailers, the ranges. So we do everything to get the gun to the counter, the ammunition to the counter, so you can purchase it. And that's kind of where the dividing line is between us and the groups that are Second Amendment Foundation kind of groups, uh, where their basis is to take care of you as a gun owner. Uh, so uh, we represent those those big companies, and we don't necessarily represent the individual gun owners, but we want to make sure that you're able to do that. So you can always find information there. Uh, you can, you know, look us up, you can, you know, follow us on social media. We're always putting stuff up on social media so people have an idea of what's going on. And I think the best way for people to get involved is, is one, is become informed and start to reach out to your legislators. Let them know you have a voice. They represent your interests. So if they're not doing what you want them to do, let them know. And that's at the state level, the local level, and in Congress, they're they're responsible to to answer back to you if they're not carrying your water for them. I think that's some of the hardest parts for people to to get into the habit of. Yeah, because uh, God doesn't. I I feel like people don't don't aren't listened to. But you make you make that phone ring enough or send enough emails, they'll start at least listening. Yeah, I, sp I spent a year working as a fellow for a member of Congress before I retired from the Marine Corps. Uh, and they definitely pay attention to the number of phone calls that are coming in, the number of emails. They're listening to what's coming in from the districts, what's coming in from the states, hmm. and they're paying attention. Good. Well, I know you got a lot of SHOT Show stuff you probably got to get ready for. We didn't even talk about SHOT Show. No. But uh, and also thank you for your service. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for the time today on the show, Mark Allman. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to sportingjournalradio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to sportingjournalradio.com.